peace and love, everyone. Uh, welcome. My name is Andrew Hewson. I'm a spiritual teacher. I'm here with my friend, uh, David Davidja Buckland. David and I have uh, been having conversations for over a year now on different subjects surrounding the unfoldment of enlightenment, what he refers to as uh, stages of enlightenment and what I refer to as contextual modalities. David is an author. He has a book, Our Natural Potential. He has, uh, I think, another book on the way, if not two, and then two, okay. Then <laughs> he also, also has a blog, Divija.ca, where he writes about uh, similar themes that, that we explore here together. So I'm back with David, and we're going to be talking today about devotion. So thank you for being here with me, David. Well, thank you, Andrew. Would you like uh, to uh, start us up? Okay. Um, I think one of the first things it's important to talk about is to define what we mean by devotion. Yes. For a lot of people, um, when we use the word devotion, they think in terms of faith and belief, or more prominently belief, and perhaps blind faith. Um, and sort of the religious connotations from modern uh, thinking. Whereas uh, devotion is really about the heart. Um, and it can't really be expressed until the heart is open. And that's something that tends to happen after the initial uh, awakening. So it's an interesting thing. So we, we kind of, without that initial awakening, um, the full expression of the heart isn't really uh, there yet. And so, um, you know, this isn't to say that we can't be devoted before awakening. Um, some people are in, inclined in that direction. They have, they have a natural inclination to devotion. But the belief is a function of the mind. And this isn't what we're talking about. is isn't about the mind. It's about the heart. Uh, and it's about those higher feeling values. And it's essentially what we're pointing to is about surrender, letting go, allowing, being okay with what is. That's on the level, that's more on the level of, of the devotion that I believe we'll, we'll, we speak to. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes they talk in terms of like prayer, for example, they'll talk about uh, petitionary um, a petitionary prayer where you're basically asking for something mm -hmm. and that's more coming on the level of belief and, and the mind and then there's often and then there's more that will be done the prayer of surrender of allowing mm -hmm. and so it's really yeah it's it's about coming down into the heart or up into the heart really uh the, the rather than uh, than uh trying to to create a relationship with the divine through uh, the mind. The mind kind of catches up with that afterwards and then uh, can give it language and so on like that, but it's not really the vehicle uh, for it. Um, would you, do you have anything to add to that or? Sure, yeah, I've got, I could say several things surrounding those, those points that are just kind of different perspectives on that. Uh -huh. And uh, of course it's, uh, we are very much in alignment with the recognition that devotion has nothing to do with 
belief. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with just uh, hearing about some God out there and feeling like that is something nice and then deciding that we're going to be a certain way. Devotion isn't really a decision in the way that I speak about it. it it's not something that we do. Yeah. Yes. It's something point. that is, is born through us, you might say. It's something that uh, is oftentimes likened unto a seed that is lying dormant in, in the heart and is activated through grace. And once this seed is activated, it begins to sprout and it grows. And it's uh, often spoken about as a creeper, something that sort of creeps and covers and really uh, begins to just express itself as a, as a way of life being with itself, as a way of the self being with itself and, and being with its own divinity. So when, uh, when Maharishi, you know, came to the, the West or the message of TM came to the West. And of course, just during that time period, there was also several other traditions, some of which were bhakti traditions that were also becoming popularized in the West. Um, one of them was a lineage, uh, Vaishnava lineage Gaudiya Vaishnavism in particular, and often known as Hare Krishnas as well. So they, you know, there tends to be kind of a sectarian understanding of devotion in certain circles where, you know, devotion is this and it belongs to us. And, and that can take place in various religious contexts. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in that there can, there can be a, a, a self-limitation and an assumption where you know, the, the identified ego structure kind of takes the concept of devotion and adds it to its uh, sense of me, you know, and yeah. to its story and to its narrative. And so what I feel like Maharishi was saying is that basically that's not it, you know, and you, you really need to know yourself. You need to realize yourself before you can know the fullness of, of what devotion is. But I would also say that that was in, in a certain time period, and it was in reference to a certain group of experiencing and that now we're we're in a different uh we're in a different period yeah and devotion is something that as you mentioned as well many of us do have an inclination towards and that inclination can begin to express itself prior to the initial shift and i've seen this not only in my own experience but i'm witnessing it uh, every day, generally, you know, uh, around the teaching, which this is more of a, a devotional teaching, or it is a devotional teaching yes. that's coming through here. So in that, there's an understanding that the heart can open and that this seed of devotion can sprout even when there hasn't been the awakening, even when there hasn't been the realization of our reality but it doesn't have anything to do with doing it. It doesn't have anything to do with believing it. It's something that can't be helped. It can't be stopped. Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm making an observation here. Most people, because of the nature of the way um, our culture in the West is around uh, emotions, mm -hmm. tend to develop quite a, a thick crust around the heart. It's yeah. very defended. 
uh, energetic crust. And so in order for devotion to express itself, we have to kind of break uh, that, that heart open, that yeah. crust, break that crust out and open the heart. Yeah, in, in, the, in the, uh, the way to describe it energetically in the process is there's a, you know, the Kundalini awakening process and the, the Kundalini comes up to the heart. And there's, so there's an initial awakening of the heart on that level. And then there's the, um, the Kundalini continues up and until you have the crown and awakening. And the central idea is that Shakti is awakened, rises to join Shiva in consciousness and the crown. They, they come together and then they descend together. And so when the, when in the descent, when the, uh, the two together come down to the heart, there's kind of like a higher octave value of the heart chakra pradaya that uh, opens up. And uh, that allows a much more um, universal, um, uh, a much fuller value of, of love uh, than a, sort of a personal love level that you might uh, uh, experience prior to that. So that's the, that's the sense of the mechanics, or whatever, behind the idea that, that uh, post-awakening, um, th there's that possibility to support. Um, the idea being that, that once you have that stable inner platform, then you have a safe and comfortable platform for the heart to open from. But certainly there's lots of variations. Uh, some people are able to uh, settle into a much deeper value of surrender even prior to awakening and uh, have that beautiful flowering of, of, uh, of devotion uh, earlier than, than some others of us. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does. You know, it's it's physiology specific, and it also relates to what we've spoken about in prior conversations surrounding like um, pre-existent development. You know, in sattva and uh, and atman. So, when we have that understanding, we're also able to recognize that devotion can be supportive of the initial shift and it's not contingent upon that and i think it's a very important understanding to have because otherwise it kind of places those that haven't had the initial shift outside of the realm of the possibility for true devotion and yes. that's just not you know that's not my experience but i do understand the intelligence of 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 what you're describing and i also feel like it's important to acknowledge that even in religious settings uh there are many, you know, sincere uh, devotees. There are many sincere aspirants, and they really are tasting some degree of love for the divine, whether it's through what seems to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or through what seems to be devotion to the Buddha's teaching, or a particular uh, teacher, or devotion to Krishna, devotion to the Divine Mother. Hmm. Although there are, you know, this is also fraught with all kinds of ritualistic sort of going through the motions and shoulds and shouldn'ts and uh you know kind yeah. of and confusing the, the symbols with the with the actual yes you know. yes exactly not not recognizing that the form is just a you know there to reflect something more fundamental and yeah. and it still seems to be within the realm of of separation there's no doubt about that but even within that context i have seen very very sincere cases of of the flowering of love and uh and what that really represents is from a broader you know context in in the soul's apparent evolution or the evolution of the 
the conscious experiencing within the self is that there is, you know, some trajectory in place. There is some flow, some movement. And these things that you're talking about surrounding the various limitations of interpretation are going to have to be worked out. You know, they're going to be run up against and uh, may appear to stall the, the full flowering of the process. But there is no doubt the, the possibility for, for devotion, uh, even in egoic dominance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's also useful to understand in this process that it's essentially part of everybody's path. Um, and it'll, it'll vary in degree. There are, uh, you know, in, in, in um, India, they talk in terms of people who are on a jnani or, or path of the intellect process more through uh, a process of understanding is their, their, their natural mode. There are people who are more karma yogis that are uh, in the field of action and doing. Um, and in that sense, it's a, a doing out of service. But again, we're talking about a process of surrender. So we, we learn by uh, you know, being out there in the world and doing stuff. And then, you know, we, we, we um, let go of the personal control in, through that process. Um, and, or, you know, with the Gyani more about the analysis and, and seeing through um, and the mind level. And then there's the bhakti, the, the devotional path. But we all have some of each. And there's kind of a, you know, I used to kind of have this idea that, oh, you were on this path or you were on this path and there was no, you know, no crossing between them, but I realized that, that no, it's, it's actually, they're all in there. It's just, we have a, we tend to have a personal emphasis, but there's always a mixture. And also at certain points in the journey, they'll become amplified. Mm -hmm. For example, I mentioned, you know, the descent after awakening. Um, and there's that stage that Maharishi calls the uh, God consciousness stage where um, the higher heart uh, that I described opens up and so there's a natural uh, devotional period in there. Mm. And where that devotion is directed also uh, varies. Some will, will become devoted. You know, the classic thing is to become devoted to God. Um, and will classically, it'll be some form of God. Like, for example, maybe Jesus or Mary Magdalene or, or uh, Shiva or, or uh, Divine Mother or, or Vishnu or... Uh, uh, you know, just about anything, essentially, sure. uh, uh, it, it, whatever form that we can relate to. And again, in this case, the form is not the, you know, idol of worship. It's, it's a representation to us that we can relate to as a vehicle for, for uh, flowing devotion. Yeah. In order for devotion to flow, there has to be an, an object to flow through. We don't have to experience that ob object as separate from us but um, it still needs to be an, an object. There's, there still needs to be uh, something to flow to. And so it's kind of like a, a vehicle of devotion. And in that sense, it's quite valid. And that's the point of, of these rituals and so on like that that you mentioned. But when that, if they become divorced from that, then they're just, they're just rituals. They're just kind of song and dance, <laughs> so to speak. Um, they're, not, um, they're not really taking you into it. And so, so there's kind of like this combination of things. There's these aspects of our journey and our own emphasis. And then there's the, you know, periods of time, you know, with, with um, the way Maharishi used to frame it um, is that, that the initial, most of us are more karma yogis for the initial shift. We're kind of touching in through our practices. We're touching into source and then integrating that through activity, the, through action and learning to, to, uh, 
to be in the world in a way that's that's um, that supports that inner growth. And then um, in the God consciousness phase, it's more of a of a uh, devotional process. But um, and then and then with the with the unity phase, it's more the the intellect that now distinction of where the intellect shifts from looking out and dividing to looking in and recognizing the oneness and and so comes a uh, a process of joining uh, um, that is the self and that is also the self and that is also the self and that is also divine and that is also divine um now there were the one you know variation in there there's a lot of people in the west who are shifting from cosmic consciousness or self-realization into unity fairly directly there is because there's less of that support less of the heart has been healed and so there is less of a devotional phase at that point uh, so then it tends to come later uh, at some point um, and it may you know there's variations there too some people have a more like uh, a devotion to a form and that kind of sense is is uh, what is described as the personal process we, we have a personal relationship with the divine as a way of flowing that that love and that's prominent in that kind of the god consciousness phase more but there are those that, who are particularly if they're, they're a stronger jnani or, you know, on the intellectual path, they may have a more impersonal relationship with the divine. Yeah. So there's still a flow of love, but the divine is more that impersonal being um, yeah. or the, the, the uh, value of Shiva as, as um, uh, infinite consciousness. Yeah. Uh, although uh, it's, not, you, it's not a devotion to consciousness per se, it's, it, it's, it's devotion to certain qualities and ultimately it's all divine and so it's just whatever qualities of the divine that we most relate to we, we can most easily surrender to essentially yeah. uh, that, that devotion flows anyway so i'll speak you for a while <laughs> no, that's great yeah so there's it, you know a, a teaching or, or an expression is always context specific and it's it's really beautiful to witness how in our current uh time you know there's there's a movement for a greater degree of revealment. We're, we're moving out of a darker uh, age, yeah, a darker period where there was more concealment, things were uh, more clouded and, and crusted over by uh, all of this unresolved material. So when we're talking about devotion, we're always going to be talking about resolution. We're always going to be talking about healing. We're always going to be talking yes. about um, the conversion of that material, which was clouding, which was covering, which was, you know, filtering the experience in such a way that it really disabled the, the fluidity and the fullness of devotion to, to make itself known. So what I'm witnessing now, as I speak about, you know, cases of sincere uh, devotion beginning pre-initial shift and, and that being accompanied by um, feminine aspect field recognition and you know recognition of uh, the self through the appearances of form and 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 motion even pre initial shift. This is something that's relatively new in terms of our uh, you know our current sort of history and and our and and what we've spoken about. Yes. And this is relating to the the collective enlivenment of of the field. So. Yes. Um, as as there is more purification, as there's more surfacing and, and resolution, then the truth of what devotion is becomes more of a possibility uh, for more, you know, points of experiencing 
in in a in a broader way and in, in, in a much more smoother way but it does correlate with uh and depend upon this uh willingness to heal yeah so it's a very important aspect of, of devotion uh, uh, yeah the feminine side the sattva side of of the equation is so important yeah one thing um might be useful to touch on here too is, is uh this tends to be a process for for most people um there has to be some value of trust in the process and, and in the nature of life in order for that kind of surrender uh, uh, needed to get into the deeper stuff. I mean, certainly there's lots of superficial unresolved experiences and emotions and stuff like that that can come up and be processed in, in a matter of course through our, our spiritual practices and, and daily life. But some of the deeper resistance um, that takes a deeper level of trust and surrender and so there tends to be this process of of when we hear teachings for example uh, to recontextualize our life um, so that we understand events of life differently mm -hmm. like uh, instead of seeing the world as some random chaos that that you know victimizes us on a regular basis uh, we start to see the order and um, intent, and we, we start to recognize the, you know, simple laws like karma, you know, there's an action and there's a reaction and there's a consequence. And sometimes they're separated, but sometimes they come a little closer together and it's more obvious. We can see the connection between, you know, I did something stupid and then that was the consequence, you know. <laughs> and so there's a bit of a learning of the process and understanding of, of how to be in life and then a growing trust. And that gives us a platform for surrender and for opening the heart. Uh, and then we begin to see the hand of God, so to speak. The, we begin to see the way the divine works in the world. And as particularly if refined perception is unfolding, uh, we start to see some of the mechanics of the world around us and we see some of these things you know, yeah. more directly. Yeah. And so this gradual process of going deeper and deeper and um, you know, going beyond sort of synchronicities and coincidences into a, a much deeper understanding of what's taking place around us. And, and there's this idea of nature support as well, where we start to, when we act more and more in sync with, with the world around us, then our actions and our desires and actions are supported and we get results much more quickly and easily. We're not struggling with life all the time. Um, and when a struggle comes up, it's usually a flag that there's some karma coming up and there's something to be seen and so on. Uh, and we just learn to be with life uh, much more smoothly. And then as that deepens even further and we, we purify and heal more, then um, even deeper values uh, are open up and we start to go into those more subtle levels. Uh, and that may be seen or it may be felt or it may be heard. There's various ways we might relate to that, that refinement of perception. But we, we tend to settle into deeper and deeper values and we start to be able to touch into uh you know clear intuition and uh flavors of bliss can come up little bubbling bliss and you know soma we've talked about that which which greatly in, in enhances um the refinement process and um and at a certain point we come to begin to experience qualities of the divine more directly and that, of course, greatly increases the trust and, and uh, 
and the faith in the process. You know, and that, that's that, then faith has a value here. Um, yeah. We're not we're not we're not putting our faith in in some concept. We're putting our faith in in our direct experience. Yes. Um, and and that and there's various ways we can talk about that, but essentially there's that process of refinement and awakening the awakening heart and then we can develop a relationship with the divine in some way impersonal or personal you know depending on our style and and orientation and you know figuring out what that is in advance you know like you can get a, a jyotish or vedic astrology reading and it'll tell you what your what your personal god is supposed to be but whether you know whether that's actually valid or not is a, i mean in, in practice um, this is something that's going to happen when it happens and it's just going to show up and you're going to just have an affinity. It's like when you meet someone new that you just have an affinity with. It's kind of like that, but on a, a higher level. And it's, you know, Marisha used to talk about it as the highest ideal or our highest conception. Because um, really divinity is so vast and so complete and so total that it's not you know, we don't have the, the physiology really to take that in. And so if we're going to relate to the divine, we kind of take a piece, not a piece, a quality, a quality of divinity that, and a form of divinity that we most relate to. Uh, um, and, and then we can create a, and we can create a relationship, but it's not also, it's not also a, um, it tends to be a single uh, form, but we can also have relationships with other forms or other qualities of divinity as well, certainly. We're not limited to that, um, but there's going to be a particular style that we most um, relate to. Yes. And then, um, and then deeper along, um, there's the the deeper process of surrendering, of well, of merging with the divine uh, in form, the, the the expressed qualities of the divine, and transcending that into Brahman, and then discovering pure divinity beyond that. And so there's a return, like a, 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 there can be, it depends on the process, but there can be a, 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 um, a break from our relationship with divinity and then coming back into it again from a, a, from a higher level. So there's a whole series of stages and how that's going to unfold for you individually is going to vary widely. But there's just, the point essentially is that there's this, this process of unfolding where we're going to come to the divine in a step-by-step way and it'll be punctuated by certain uh, key things like a fir the first experience and, and so on um, and at, and on, a, on the level of experience too there's just that cautionary note um, we're more likely to first run into as, as perception refines we're more likely to first run into astral sorts of beings um, and these can be a number of different kinds of things humans between lives and so on like that and it's just Basically, the rules are very similar to to uh, the rules you would run into meeting someone on the street, you know, about talking to strangers and and not automatically trusting just because they look fancy or or um, they seem important or something that uh, we don't automatically give them all, all our trust. Um, this is where feeling value is really important. It's not about appearances and, and so on, but the feeling value. And uh, so sometimes people come to the divine more typically people will come to the divine after they've first begun experiencing other kinds of beings first and the challenge there of course is the other kinds of beings the divine has you know like angels and, and so forth actual uh, 
uh, light beings um, know they they have a relationship with the divine and they have a their their purpose is clear for them and so they don't mess around with with uh, our life that way they're only, they're only there to be supportive but um, less subtle beings uh, you know broadly astral sorts of things beings that reside in the mind and the emotional kind of levels energy and and uh, mental levels um, those kind of beings have, are mixed there, there's certainly beings of value in there uh, but um, but there's also going to be beings that basically have disengaged from their evolutionary process and and um, got bored and, and they're trying to manipulate and <laughs> play games just like like you find with people sometimes there's, there's those ones you just have to be a little careful um, there are there are uh, challenges in there in that process so you want to be able to move past that part and get into the deeper stuff so that you can culture trust and and and, uh, and uh, experience-based faith rather than getting entangled in the messy stuff and and um, um, not be culturing trust and, and getting to a place where you can be devoted you really don't want to get into a codependent relationship with some random subtle being uh, <laughs> i've seen it yeah i know it's not uncommon yeah and, and those kind of things too one of the things to understand there is that they they live on energy or the way we, we live on food they live on the energy of that level and they, they they'll tend to favor just like we like and we might have a sweet tooth or we might have a have a um uh we you know really enjoy uh savory um they'll be the same kind of way and and they'll they'll favor a certain kind of energy and so they may try to manipulate us into into culturing fear or or anger or something like that as you know or or um whatever because they like that energy uh, but that's really not uh very evolutionary for us uh, uh, so yeah anyways not to get it not that get into any big horror story just to you want to move past that stuff no that's uh that's that, all very very important and yeah and that's why it's so important that, that um that we we're stepping outside of our normal day-to-day -day experience through our spiritual practices yeah. through transcendence samadhi tria there's various names for it um but transcending our uh, the, the emotions of mind and touching into source so we're culturing those deeper values and going beyond that and then we get it we, we begin to get a sense and then if we're doing the healing and stuff like that then the uh our emotional arena will clean out and um and then we'll be emotionally aware and the feeling value of the beings that we're in contact with will we'll, we'll give them away basically if there's something a little bit off um with even though they look fancy um if there's something a little off with them we use the feeling value then we know that this isn't a being to give our attention to and uh, yeah I, I i got into that a little bit myself uh early on uh when, it, when the stuff first started unfolding so yeah uh, it's, with that stuff it's just based best to wait until it goes a little deeper and and uh, and then the heart will be more healed the perception will be re more refined the emotions will be more uh, alert find feelings be more present and so yeah the whole thing works a whole lot better uh when you when the ground is more prepared uh for those arenas and again this is this is what i mentioned earlier about there's a lot of people who are skipping the god consciousness phase after awakening simply because that isn't uh there yet um and it's also 
worth noting again in, in here that um, that uh, value of sattva or clarity and the, the value of atman or, or, or consciousness are cumulative through past lives from prior, prior lives. So when we're born in this life, um, we pick up where we left off essentially. Now, I've, I've observed that there, there appears to be this process where when we come into the life that there's some ancestral stuff or, or our own karma to work through before that kicks in. And so it's quite common for people to discover spirituality, for example, in their late teens or, or, um, or even later in their life and, and, uh, or take it more seriously later in their life. Um, and, and that's just the process that there's some things to work through first. Uh, yeah, or, or my own pr process. I can note that there was a period of time where it came online, became very into it, and then life drew me away from it for a while. And I, and I needed to focus on the day-to-day -day life for a while and then spirituality spirituality came back into prominence again later when it was time so we go through those kind of cycles there's no there's no uh one right way or one path or through this process it's just yeah. um, um we can work through it beautiful yeah on that note about incarnations there's also certain incarnations that are here solely uh out of service so it's a, sort of a call and response kind of a situation. And they have, because they were not bound to the samsaric cycle, they've taken on, in order to take a body, a certain portion of collective uh, residue or collective karma. And so that tends to show up in a pretty contrasting way, you know, uh, during the incarnation. And there's variation there, of course. Uh, but that's also another possibility because there's multiple soul groups and there are, you know, different, uh, different options and different things unfolding on earth. And uh, I just want to go back to, to, the, to the concept of faith just for a minute, because I think it's important. There's, a, there's an understanding in uh, the, Buddhist, the Buddhist traditions called the awakening of faith. And I find it to be a very helpful understanding and something uh, that can enable us to kind of step into to what the essence of faith is, you know, outside of its more limited concealed representations. And when they speak about the awakening of faith, they're talking about this, uh, this awakening of trust and intuitive inner knowing yeah, and, and faith based on that knowing in the path, in, in what's being presented, you know, whether that's the Four Noble Truths and the, and the Eightfold Path or uh, it, it can take place in different traditions and in the Buddhist context, it, it is referential, you know, to various entry points within, within the, the, the Buddhist systems. But they see that as being essential for, for really expressing in a certain way on the path. So if we have, uh, let's say someone's introduced to meditation, we can be presented with these, you know, evidence of its usefulness and uh, so on and so forth. But we really still have to have some degree of faith that it is worth it in order to step in to, to the, the meditation process, particularly to, you know, meditate twice a day and, you know, not just for one month and <laughs> those kinds of things. And so I was introduced to this understanding, which I find also very helpful that faith is already a part of the human experience. We, when we get in our car, we go out to drive. We have the faith that, you know, the, the car is going to get us to where, uh, 
where we're going. You know, we have the faith that we're not going to get, you know, sideswiped at an intersection. And much of our experience is lived on faith, but it's lived on faith that's put into things that really aren't as trustworthy as they seem to be. Yes. So we tend to, to, to trust the fragile uh, instability of form and the appearances of objectified subjectivity. Uh, and, yes, and, and our stories, and our stories we, about ourselves and about the people around us, we kind of exactly, have these exactly. narratives. Yeah. yeah, so we have faith in these superficial values of experience. Yes. And, and many wouldn't call it faith. Some would call it, you know, science or, you know, uh, you know, reality, understanding what's really going on or, or whatever the case may be, proven statistics, yeah, all, these different, <laughs> all these different notions. Uh, but it is really a, a sort of faith. So in the context of traditions, what we see put forward is the possibility for a faith which kind of tends to seem contradictory to, to, to the, the normal daily faith of the human experience. Yeah. Yes. And there are, there are more concealed versions of that. Of course, that can just become a part of the more concealed faith and, and just get, you know, then it just adds to the narrative, adds to the story. There's, you know, reckless expressions of that that are based in unresolved material yeah, and, and yes. immaturity in the conscious experiencing. But there's also authentic expressions of faith. There's also an authentic alignment with a certain understanding, which is intuitively known to be of the nature of truth in the heart. And that's how we're sitting here talking right now is because that faith at some point was awakened. We, we were able to take a step into that which we resonated with as being aligned with truth, as being aligned with the possibility of enlightenment, you know? And so we, we don't wanna you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and discard it entirely. But it is important to recognize, and this is what I feel like you were saying, is that there are so many layers of concealed faith, concealed devotion, that the, the, the truth of what that word is pointing to seems to have been lost, you know, in these, in these falsified ideas and these limited interpretations of it. Yes. But here, we're, we're living in an age where we're, we're called to kind of realize the truth of what faith is the truth of what devotion is yeah and and that's moving to be born through us and it is taking place yes but this is always going to correlate with resolution it's always going to correlate with healing so this kind of goes back to your uh point about practices and in in this teaching i i uh suggest something that i call the four pillars and basically it's where there's an introspective lifestyle that's being lived that includes the attentive allowing of unresolved energy, unresolved you know, emotional reflections that are going to begin to surface through the, the basic intention of the willingness to heal, of the willingness to realize the truth. And so when we're living in this way and we do have these methodologies that support uh, honest evaluation of experience and attentive allowing of unresolved material, then we begin to see the crusts and the calcifications that have developed around faith and devotion and the clarity of this light that is experiencing itself. Yeah. 
begin yeah. to break away and to and and begin to um, to actually even be converted into that which serves the enlivenment of the truth of what devotion actually is. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think back on a lot of these words. I had, I had a quite a negative view on even to use the word God. It kind of choked on the word because you know, the the associations I had with you know and. And my, my family went to church when I was young and, and Sunday school and all that. And so I was kind of uh, taught in this kind of style of, of understanding, not as guilt-ridden as, as some Catholic uh, scenarios, but, but, um, but I went through a rejection of that because there were so many uh, issues with it, um, you know, and quite obviously uh, when I stopped to actually look at it and, um, and so there was rejection of all the ideas that are sort of, you know, that were around that, like faith and and uh, devotion and so on. And um, so it's an interesting experience to come around to it again, because those the resistance that had developed around those ideas also had to be shed too. Yeah. Um, and you know, I tend to use the word divine now more than God um, to some degree, partly because there's slightly less resistance to that word okay. for other people um but but yeah there's still button words for a lot of people and and i can fully understand it's it's a it's a but it but yet when you come to the actuality of it when you're able to shed those that resistance and come to the actuality of it it's um there's nothing in the world of form that can come close yes um to the yeah. divine it's just because it, it's so much more than I mean, if you think about it, just from our perspective of our creation, I mean, our, our creation contains many, many, many universes. And if you think of, you know, we we have one universe that's full of life, on not just physical life, but on all these various subtle levels. And then there's many universes, and then our creation is only one of many creations. Yeah. And and you know, the 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 scale of of the divine is just, you know, mind-boggling <laughs> beyond conception, and yeah. and and yet the divine is everywhere. But one of the most direct ways to access divinity is through the heart. Yes. There's a. I remember many years ago, uh, I became aware that there's this kind of thread that comes down through. It connects up through this whole process of creation down into the universe and into comes down into the top of the head and down through the, the chakras and uh, um, sort of the standard understanding. But then later on, I became aware there was also another thread that came directly into the heart, kind of like a, at a T. And that heart, that thread connected directly to the divine, didn't go through all the other stuff all those layers um, up above, all the way back to the source. And um, and so it, it kind of, and that's where our, what would the West we would call the soul resides while we're alive in this body. It's kind of the, it runs from the heart. And it's a, it's such a central part of the process. And, and you know, there's a lot of emphasis in spiritual circles on consciousness and, um, but that's just like, that's the platform for experience to be had 
and for for knowing to to unfold but even consciousness itself is just an expression of of the divine the divine is so much more and so it's this this kind of emotional healing and and so it's so valuable for uh, quality of life i mean you shift from you know, mild depression and, and, you know, the moodiness of the day and all this kind of stuff going on um, into kind of like those, those things still go on, but they're kind of like ripples on the, on the top of the ocean. And you sit in this ocean of peace and love and happiness and satisfaction and sort of the, those things become far more uh, prominent and, and, uh, consistent is the right word but they're essentially qualities of consciousness itself and so um, you know and they're which are in turn qualities of divinity and so they're just there all the time whereas you know anger is just like a re reaction to some surface thing um, you know you see someone do something inappropriate and it's natural to feel anger but if you're if you're uh if you've healed in that where you, you experience a wave of anger and then it completes and passes. Whereas if there's like, oh, anger's bad, I shouldn't be feeling anger, I'm above that, or or you know, whatever, you know, some resistance, then it, it kind of comes up and then it gets caught up in the in the shoulds and musts and the and the resistance and the grasping and all this kind of uh, dynamics of suffering essentially. And what ends up happening is it doesn't complete and then it sits there. We have this kind of shadow of anger that's sitting there with all this other stuff we've got and it just adds another layer to, to, to muddy the waters yeah. um, and culture uh, culture suffering. And so on the flip side of that, it, you know, it, it, it's interesting and I'm working on a translation of the Yoga Sutra right now. And uh, well, I finished the translation, I'm working on the commentary and, and so on. And, it talks in there, and, and it, it's interesting, it comments that, that that even if you don't, I mean, most people don't realize they're suffering, essentially. Their experience, they consider normal to have yeah. all these cruddy emotions that don't seem to complete and, and hang around and, and that kind of stuff. And that's considered normal. But from the perspective of, of yoga, that's suffering because our natural uh, potential is, is to, is to not live that way <laughs> is to be free of our afflictions and and um, the weight of all these this emotional baggage and so on. Um, uh, I mean, it takes it takes time, but if we if we adopt some uh, good techniques for healing, for transcending, so on, um, then um, over time we we heal that backlog and we we become clearer and more peaceful and more settled and. More joyous and and uh, and this 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 gradual uh, opening up and uh, you know progressive uh, quality of life improvements until we can come to a place where where uh, and, and it's funny you know there's the old saying you know uh, Joseph Campbell used to say follow the bliss and if you want to know what the right thing to do is where's the happiness where follow the bliss and um, the uh, uh, similarly the, the term life is bliss, mm -hmm. but it's interesting that's actually a literal thing. Yes, because it's that the vibration of life, the, of of creation becoming, 
is bliss experienced yeah. on that level if we're yeah. able to, to experience that on that level yeah. then it's happiness it's just right there and it's there all the time because everything around us is being recreated in every moment yes and that process is bliss yes and it's you know that's our it's our birthright yes beautiful yeah there's just one thing about that um that statement follow the bliss sometimes it can it can be used or a similar understanding can be used to avoid facing the what seems to be the difficult more challenging uh layers of of residue so in or we can chase pleasure yes rather than bliss exactly so, oh I, I i like i like ice cream <laughs> i'll just eat ice cream because that's follow the bliss but that's actually not quite bliss that's not <laughs> well it is technically but not <laughs> well, it, it's a, yeah but then, yeah. And again that gets into you know clearing out your emotional baggage so that you actually experience yes. what bliss is yes exactly so the the teaching that comes through here is is a transmutative path which basically recognizes that the primary distinction between the masculine and feminine aspects of the self, which is the changeless, silent, pure awareness and the full, vibrant, conscious aliveness is a infinite pulsation. It's a timeless pulsation and that pulsation through its own self-experiencing flow appeal, appears to conceal itself and an illusion of separation. And in that concealment, there appears to be a resistance to the flow of experiencing through the illusion of control. And in that resistance, there's a layering of residue. There's a layering of unresolved condensation, which is essentially the pulsation of bliss. But it's been layered in the illusion of separation in the illusion of fragmentation and so that condensation moves to come up into the surface, into the field of attention, so that it can be converted or transmuted back into the vibrant fullness of this field of life that is ourself. And the way that this relates to devotion is that it clears away that which appears to be obscuring the potential for the flow of devotion, but it's also devotion which enables the conscious experiencing to surrender in and to release the resistance around those layers of residue that are considered to be challenging, that are considered to be difficult, that have been condemned and pushed away and, and made, uh, made wrong what we see taking place in the non-duality kind of marketplace on one side of things is that there's a essentially a rejection of God through non-duality, which shows up as kind of the no me non-duality or the no self non-duality. And this is directly related to unresolved condensation that surrounding guilt and uh, you know, stickiness that is tied into the, the concept of God and, and the sense of separation from God and religious uh, authoritarianism and, and things that have been misused and abused. And so there's this, in a certain sense, attempt to get out of that 
taking place within the conscious experiencing through non-duality. But oftentimes this doesn't include recognizing the residue and allowing for the residue to be healed and transmuted. So then- Yeah, yeah it's interesting just, just to mention that in there, um, they, non-duality essentially comes out of, of the, the Advaita teaching of, of uh, Adi Shankara. And it's quite interesting when you actually look at his life, he, he uh, was a, a young sage and, and uh, produced um, commentaries and, and so forth uh, very rapidly and had, had famous debates and so on. And um, he founded the, he, at the time he was around the, the uh, uh, householder path had become dominant and he reestablished uh, a renunciate path and um, uh, and set set up the four seats of the Shankaracharyas, the four seats of learning in India. Um, but you know, now we've come to the opposite extreme where we've kind of well, not now, but uh, what came to pass was that we came to to overemphasize the renunciate and 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 uh, the householder path that most of us are on uh, was seen as as uh, inferior. Um, and so that's part of, that's kind of in there a lot with the modern non-dualists, but, but the, um, um, that, that sort of emphasis on the dry, um, no me, you know, emotions or, all, uh, you know, desires, all that stuff is, is kind of, there's a, there's a, a tendency to, uh, reject all that. Um, and, and to, to lean towards a renunciate uh, uh, style of, but some of that is just spiritual bypassing, essentially using spiritual concepts and techniques to avoid your, your life. Yes. <laughs> Lots of examples of that. I've fallen into it a little bit myself here and there. Um, it's very easy, very seductive to just avoid uh, and you don't have to deal with it. But um, there's a famous story of uh, told about him when he's, He's walking along the side of a river and his foot gets stuck and, and he, he uh, can't pull it out. Uh, and he sees this uh, woman walking over a bridge nearby and he calls out to her to, to help. And um, she replies, oh, it's, it's an illusion, <laughs> essentially. And, uh, and then he realizes it's, it's divine mother in form. And he, he ends up writing this beautiful uh, devotional poem. And his later teaching becomes much more devotional. Um, so it's like this, the modern dawn dualists have been emphasizing the earlier kind of more analytical, drier kind of approach that, that uh, was there earlier, although I don't think it was really that. It's just kind of they've overemphasized that. Um, um, but his later devotional stuff is, is ignored, um, and that's and that's uh, you know the the that's where the richness is, you know, yes. the fullness is. Yes. So that's a part of the the the, the collective clearing that that's moving to take place, and yeah. so it's just a temporary phase, I would say, in at least in its degree of popularity. And there's, we're speaking in generalities, there's different levels of authenticity and, and yeah. revealment, you know, there's like the neo non-duality and then there's more classical and, and yeah. those kinds of things. 
And then and it is a stepping stone too, because it, it has gotten a lot of people onto a, a, a path. It is, it is, uh, you know, in that sense. Yes, everything, everything has the potential to be uh, utilized by grace, you know, and the, the call of divinity back to itself. And the, there's a, there's also another movement that, you know, kind of emphasizes looking at trauma and making sure that, that uh, humanity, you know, is included and, and not getting lost in the sort of negation of, of, uh, of the world and, and, and really oftentimes is sort of what appears to be a correction of what is deemed to be the mistake of the, of the modern non-duality interpretation. But I find that even in this field, there's a lot of limitation because the feminine is being associated with things that it really doesn't have anything to do with. Um, and it is becoming about, you know, certain ways of expressing or speaking or, or, or being and the, the limited identification just gets a hold of concepts and, and uses it, you know, to, to add to whatever, to being spiritual and those kinds of things. And so these are just kind of two extremes that are present, you know, uh, in the spiritual marketplace at large. But what we're really looking at is, you know, field realization in both aspects and then the marriage, the union of both of these aspects into a sing single unity, into a single yes. field of flowing fullness and then, then opening into source recognition. And it's all about the, the, the mind in there. Because it's like when the mind is in there, it's looking for concepts and it's listening to the two of us talk about devotion and it's making a concept about what devotion is. Yes. But but it's really all about the heart. And as you said earlier on, it's a non-doing. It's a yeah. surrender. It's an yeah. allowing. Yeah. It's not something we do. It's something we we allow. We, we let go of the personal control. And the mind is so entangled with personal control. Yeah. So it, it's really this, um, yeah, this process of you know this is this is about the heart not not the concepts the concepts yeah. are not gonna well they might give you a framework but you know that, that's all it is it's like a map it's not the road and and confusing the map with the road is is going to cause you trouble <laughs> exactly and it's an expression of grace and it's it's not something that we gain or earn or are better or worse at you know mm -hmm. devotion is a flow of grace, a flow of divinity back within its own field of light that loops back into itself. As you were describing that little string, it's a drawing of divinity back into the truth of itself. Yes. And, and I can give examples that, you know, here, for example, um, I write articles and post them to my blog um, as an act of service. Yes. Because um, uh, I know when I was, you know, early in my path, that kind of support wasn't available and so i i make it available as best i can and um um and that's as a as a as a devotional service i have a devotion to knowledge understanding and so i explore that a lot and that, that's kind of how it expresses and then there's also the more pure isn't the right word but the heart expression of devotion yeah and uh, and that's been growing in all kinds of different ways yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's an interesting, interesting process. I mean, you're you're more 
I mean, overtly isn't the right word, but you're, you have a more overt devotional uh, process in that you're, you're teaching a, a devotional approach. Um, or, whereas my, uh, my uh, practice is, is less overtly devotional, yes. but yet even that's evolved. Um, like these days I'm, I'm um, practicing a technique that, that um, this essentially invoking qualities of divinity mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's taught only for people who are awake uh, because they're able to, to actually practice the technique uh, because it requires a, a being able to settle at a very subtle level. So it's, it's kind of a, a mechanical, not mechanical is the wrong word maybe, but, um, but it's there and it's kind of growing in, in different kinds of ways. That, that technique is also practiced in a group. Um, so yeah. to amplify it, when the awake come together and, and when, it, when we amplify that. So it just kind of, it takes, it takes uh, many forms is kind of my point. Yes, uh, exactly. And I think uh, commitment is an important word also for us to mention mm -hmm. as, a, as an expression of devotion. And you just beautifully pointed to it in, in reference to your commitment or your devotion mm -hmm. to knowledge. And, and I, one of the ways that I often frame it is the devotion to truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the devotion to integrity, the devotion to, to reality and the willingness to give, to give uh, to reality, to give everything to that which is real, that which is true. And that's such a powerful potency. I mean, it just, it's irresistible for divinity. Divinity just can't resist itself flowing towards itself like that. Yes. Giving itself no. to itself. It's funny when, when I, um, the initial shift is a, a moment of surrender, fraction of a second, just this moment of letting go, and then the self can see itself, and the the um, ego is is surrendered at least to some value. Uh, there's usually a bit of a back and forth, because it, you know, it tends to want to try and reassert reassert itself, and there's habits and that support that and so on. But um, but I remember um, not long after that, my teacher commented on perpetual surrender. And I was kind of horrified because the idea that, you know, I managed to, you know, surrender for a fraction of a second. <laughs> and here and there, there'll be other, other ones. But the idea of being in surrender all the time, I mean, that was so far from, from where I, what my experience was. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, so it horrified me at the time that, that, that uh, how was I ever going to get to there? But it's just a process. It just yeah. happens as, as, as things deepen and the trust uh, fills out and through surrender that's how you get there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of, like, sort of like you know it's like now it's sort of like oh life wants me to do this so oh, that's interesting yeah. uh, and okay and uh, you know, I, I have a friend um, you know sometimes we'll go for a drive or something and they'll be like oh we're driving this way now and you know, just the, the signal comes so now we're going to go over here and something needs to be seen or or whatever just some little thing um, you know, somebody to run into or, or uh, uh, yeah, it's hard to say what, what, the, what, yeah. where the attention is just needed someplace a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you just kind of go with the flow of life and, you know, I make a plan and, and that, but it's just like, it's just a, an outline, some main points and allow it to unfold the way it does. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah there, 
Hmm. There's something I was going to say. I can't remember. I did want to just talk a little bit. Uh, oh, okay. I know. Now I remember. About uh, devotion in reference to the teacher. Hmm. You know, um, there's a, a friend of mine who likes to say devotion can't be taught but it can be caught yeah so when you mentioned uh you know teaching devotion it's more a matter of uh infection through reflection yes and well it's like so often with the so often with awakening it's like like yeah. the, it's an awake person that ends up catalyzing the shift they don't yeah. cause the shift but because there's an awakeness there it, the self can recognize the self more clearly. So quite often people will wake up from from as a person as a catalyst. And the same with the heart. Yes. Um, if we yeah. don't have any experience of what it is to have an open heart, there's no reference point. Um, but then we experience somebody who has that, it can be quite a revelation. Yes, exactly. And it's the it's always the intelligence and the power of divinity, you know, that's mm -hmm. using the 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 form the nervous system to reflect within its own light, that potentiality that's always present within the field so that it actualizes, so that it recognizes itself. And, you know, in this, in this teaching that comes through here, that it runs parallel with the, the speaking directly to the self, you know, as itself, yes. and, but also that enlivenment of that flow of love that is present. And one thing that I've noticed uh, is that there can be this uh, tendency to have a lot of misconception about authentic devotion when it comes to the teacher-student relationship. Because there have been cases of misuse and abuse over the years, particularly, <clears throat> let's say in the past 40 years, many in the West have come into the light of you know not being authentically uh, aligned in, in, in a teacher-student relationship, many teachers coming from the West, I mean, from the East into the West, and there being, you know, various levels of unresolved material yeah. that were coloring and, and filtering uh, the expression and the experiencing. Oftentimes, they really hadn't tasted a full unfoldment. I would say most of yeah. the time there was. There can, uh, there can be an authentic awakening. And, yeah. and, you know, some value is there. Um, it's just that the process isn't complete. Well, yes. I mean, I don't know if anybody's complete. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but. Yes, I know what you're saying. Is that there's, not, there's, there's not this understanding of resolution. Yeah, it's not yeah. based on this kind of continuation. And, and, and so there's this, there could be a self-limitation that, yeah. that capitalizes. And then you put in a position of power over in some yes. way, and it brings up unresolved material around identity and, and control and you know codependency and all, all this other messy stuff. Yes. Um, and this also correlates with the students' unresolved material. Yeah. They they are you know they have their own projections and they have their own uh, residue, their own quote unquote. It's all kind of collective experiencing, but you know what I mean yes. on a point value. And then that factors into so that meets up. You know it meets up in that relationship, and then that's where there's there seems to be some stickiness. And what I've seen is that there can be this understanding that we need to kind of throw, just get rid of that uh, in the West as if, as the if whole, that's even possible. The whole teaching model, you mean? 
Yeah, as if that's yeah. even possible because actually the the authenticity of a teacher-student relationship, which is based in sincere reflection of divinity within its own life and is founded in true devotion, has a subtle structure in and has its own laws of nature. So you're not gonna we're not gonna get rid of it um, and, and just throw it away. And that by no means is a solution to the expression of unresolved residue that we've seen unfold. So as a, as a collective, and in the West in particular, we have a responsibility, you know, to recognize where the issue is and to address the issue. And, and I don't feel that it's in service to set up safety features that, you know, are really limiting the fullness of the revealed truth of, of what something is expressing itself. Yeah. So, and there's also that issue we touched on before about, about graven image kind of thing, where, yeah. where they're seeing the teacher as the perfect person in some way. And there yeah. can be this natural desire to have an object of devotion. Yes. Uh, but then they start to become devoted to the, the form and the person. Yes. The, the, that's, and, you know, and, uh, and that, that creates issues for the teacher. Yes. Um, and, and but also if the teacher has issues, yeah, and if the teacher has issues themselves, it brings those out too. I know yes. some teachers who, who refuse to be called to call themselves teachers yes. simply because to avoid those kind of dynamics to some degree. Sure. Um, um, and yet they, they certainly, um, don't discourage, uh, natural, natural expressions of devotion, yes. uh, but just the, the sort of the neediness and the, the dependency and uh, the sort of trying to fill fill some some gap kind of a thing and, and an external externally oriented the, as, as the teacher as a separate um, right uh, individual yeah I mean yeah. I still have even with some awake people I, I I get surprised sometimes because they there's this attitude that I'm special in some way mm-hmm. and you know whereas my own experience is that that no it's 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 not me that's <laughs> this is I'm, I'm just the more i'm not there the more <laughs> the better it is <laughs> yes. beautiful it's the yeah. absence of the yeah of the me sense of self yeah reflects as the fullness of divinity yeah it's confusing what it's confusing what's awake and what's where the where the where the uh potency is yes it's not in the person so in this the authentic possibility and the more revealed uh, truth of, of what the, the teacher-student relationship has the potential to be, you know, is one where the self is reflecting, clearly reflecting back to itself, yeah, and, re- and reflecting back its own pure divinity in alignment with the recognition of purification as an inseparable aspect of any kind of comprehensive unfoldment yeah, and resolution so that the, the truth and the authenticity of devotion actually has a chance to flower. And that can be a very, very powerful, very powerful thing. So all I'm saying is that it's not really in alignment to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. And uh, to miss the, the mark, to miss the point of what the truth of something is. It's always, when it is aligned, with reality, it's always going to serve the recognition of reality within itself and the recognition that the teacher is not an other 
but that doesn't take away from the value of what the the reflection represents for example you and i both are aware of subtle support from certain lineages yes. and great sages and teachers which yeah. are not seen to be others but there still is a value of sweet relation there yeah. and that relation is very sacred yes. and it's very precious and it's very integrous there's an understanding in the bhakti traditions called taking shelter that I find to be quite beautiful and helpful when it's understood properly. And it's essentially to take shelter of a lineage or to take shelter of a teacher, to take shelter of truth, to take shelter of divinity, you know, is to place our what everything that we feel our experience is, everything that we feel you know, our life is into that which has reflected back the truth of our potential more clearly. And in that, there's a taking shelter of that truth, which then enlivens the recognition, enlivens the recognition that what it is that seemed to be taken shelter of is not another, yeah? that it's actually the self that is taking shelter of itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like exactly. the idea of you reach out and they reach back and yes. grab your hand and, and support you through the process. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't require a lot, but there are key points in the journey where it can be very valuable. And, and, uh, yeah. and I've had, you know, different, different expressions of, of the divine show up at different points on my journey and, um, um, to you know, basically point things out or or to to guide the direction of my attention or whatever. Um, I've also had had the experience, not common happily, but I've had the experience of them stepping in when I wandered into a less savory place and <laughs> uh, didn't know how to deal with it, and they step right in instantly and and. Uh, so that you know that helped certainly helped my own trust in the process when I recognized that they had my back, so to speak. And, and yes, that's exactly what taking shelter is. So when, yes. when we're in that, when we're under that shelter, it's really the shelter of the divine, but it flows yes. in like a tier system, like a tier support system. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the power of divinity flows in, and then supports itself in that way. Yes, and for me, the initial thing was to learn techniques. To help in that, that kind of thing in the in the in the future, um, and uh, how to deal with darkness essentially. But yeah. at, at a, a certain point, um, that I discovered that just simply flowing love. Yeah. You know, it's like it it dissolves anything in its path, and it it. Um, it's um, effulgent, and so it's essentially, it, it you know it brings light to to uh, to uh, darkness and, and uh, dissolves darkness too. So yeah, yes, it's, uh, it's like a, a universal solvent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is power. Yeah, pure power. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's also another point that I wanted to make. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I grew up in the South 
and uh, was around a lot of different, you know, kind of church settings and very religious expressions and, you know, always some valuable principles in there. And, and I definitely encountered some authentic cases of devotion and love and and I, and I really am grateful for the appearance of that experience, you know, passing through various, uh, you know, seeming difficulties and, 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 you know, always being kind of brought back into some kind of possible spiritual solution, because it was the really what seemed to be the only possible solution uh, for someone like Andrew. And I also had the experience of living at a, a, a Vaishnava ashram for, um, about seven, eight months after I uh, had already uh, had the pure divinity shift. So it was post nothingness. Oh. And uh, so I was in a very, very kind of impersonal <laughs> space. And I moved into this ashram, it was a very personal, uh, personal ashram, you know, Krishna devotees. And it was a profound experience because although there was already this immense devotion and it had expressed you know uh in in towards different forms namely jesus christ krishna and uh lord buddha the introduction to this uh to this particular bhakti path which was not an accident and and nor was it just an introduction but a, a revisiting uh sort of reflected back some different possibilities within within the experiencing. Uh, and what I cognized and realized is that th these points of conscious experiencing as a part of a broader Leela that they're not even aware of are not actually on the path to awakening. They're not, they're not looking for shifts in identity. They're purely cultivating certain uh, they're purely cultivating devotion, yeah. So in, it's actually a play within the divine mind, if you will. And these points of experiencing are cultivating these devotional mellows, yeah, devotional moods. And their, their intention is to go to a different planet and they will go to that planet eventually, yeah, if they're sincere and they are aligned. But it's, uh, it's important to note that because there, there is a certain group, soul group, that is, that's what's going on. And that's what their motivation is. And that's what their intention is. They don't have any desire for liberation. Hmm. They're, uh, they, it's a, the divine is playing with itself, if you will, uh, in this loving of itself in a particular way. So we've kind of covered several different things and hmm touched on these different possibilities that seem to be contradictory. One seems to be, you know, within the realm of non-duality and the other appears to be more referential to point value identification and or egoic concealment. And what I've found is that it's not either or, you know, there's, a, there's an argument that's been going on for 500 years or longer than that around personalism and impersonalism in India and, uh, and these kinds of things. And the teaching that comes through here is called non-dual devotion. Yes. And there's actually the possibility, which is what you've been describing essentially, yeah, of there being what appears to be a personal devotion, but it's an impersonal personality. Yeah. 
So the like those two we talked earlier about there's the Shiva and the Shakti and there's the masculine and feminine. Yep. There's the, the personal and the impersonal. But yes. when you get to the top, they come together into one. They come together. Exactly. Beautiful. And so that's where there's a non-dualistic flow of devotion. And there's still the possibility of tasting these devotional mellows, which is very uncommon uh, anywhere on the planet right now. But it will become more common, and it is becoming more common. I'm seeing it. So, And there's different possibilities for that, many of which are post pure divinity shift, initial pure divinity shift, yeah. And it has to do with a certain flavor of love, a certain flow of love, yeah. Where devotion is kind of enlivening itself in a particular tasting of itself, tasting of itself this way, tasting of itself this way. And it's the understanding of Leela, yeah, or divine play is profoundly, uh, important or helpful in in this kind of understanding because it doesn't have anything to do with anything other than that it's for its own sake it's tasting that for the sake of tasting it so savoring the sweetness of a flavor of love savoring the sweetness of a flavor of divine love in these flows of love the the divine can relate to itself in different ways and there's an understanding in the Indian subcontinent of bhavas and rasas, yeah, which relates to, I think it's natya shastra, which has to do with aesthetic rapture, aesthetic uh, expression, Vedic expression of aesthetic arts. Yeah. So there's a whole science and it's profound, the details and all you know mostly in sanskrit with some translations in english and some more sectarians you know tradition specific and some pradaya specific things and all of that which is wonderful and beautiful but it can also be realized where there's no sense of otherness at all and there's and 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 tasted post supreme nothingness where there are these different flavors of divinity relating to itself and oftentimes these show up as like loving as a as a as a father divinity loving itself as a father loving itself as a mother you see on this planetary system we're in a unique situation because there seems to be a distinct representation of the male and the female yeah and that's not present on all planetary systems but here it its presence allows for a unique uh expression of devotion yeah and it's all according to the to the context and the time period so you know some of the traditions in india tend to have more of a feminine flow of devotion or understanding of devotion that's uh, pointed towards a form of the feminine yeah? and then some are you know in alignment with uh, krishna bhakti or you know devotion to shiva and some traditions include both, you know, Shiva and Shakti, and they're looking at the union of that. So there's all these different possibilities. And it's important to note, I feel, because they're going to become more common, and I'm seeing them become more common, uh, these different mellows of devotion uh, are, are coming online, and these different ways of tasting devotional love, the love of divinity tasting itself through what appears to be 
a separationless relational presentation. So, and this means that divinity could kind of love itself like a brother, feel itself that it's like a brother or a dear friend, or love itself like a sister, yeah, or a dear friend, a, a confidant, yeah. Uh, there's the possibility of loving as a lover, which oftentimes have has been only strictly all point values are females and you only divinity is a male you only love it as a lover that way but actually that's not the case that was a part of a concealed age and there's also the possibility of divinity loving itself in a feminine form as a lover as well which is known as kantabhava or madhurya yeah it's a form of devotional sweetness but none of this is a referential to separation yeah it's a play of separationless fluidity yeah as a as a sweetness of divinity tasting itself and loving itself so uh, i could you know that's a very rich subject but i just wanted to mention yeah. it in Beautiful. case anybody yeah. is tasting these that's kinds of interesting way to frame it yeah i hadn't uh, framed it that way before um yeah, it's, but it's interesting. You touch on a point too about the object of devotion. We, we poked at that a little bit earlier, but it can take many, many forms. Yes. And it's just what we relate to. Uh, Ramana famously expresses devotion to a mountain. Yes. Um, and, you know, because there are objects that, that become so imbibed with, with presence mm -hmm. that uh, they're like a teacher in themselves. Yes. Um, you know, sometimes people will go to the, to the, place where uh, a deceased uh, spiritual teacher lived because the place became imbibed, imbibed with their presence, yes. um, that kind of thing. Um, there are certain stones that are have been enlivened, you know, and uh, lingams, different structures that have yes. represent uh, a certain energy field, yeah, a certain yes. resonance within the self. Yes. And um, and then there's one's mate as an object of devotion. Yes. Um, uh, and you and you mentioned different kinds of, of love, uh, brotherly love and and uh, love of children and and uh, yes. So on. Um, devotion to the guru, devotion to forms of God. You know the kind of standard yes. ones. Uh, yeah. There's quite a there's quite a you know. And so as I mentioned earlier, it's not something you can necessarily predict in advance. Uh, no, <laughs> it's not something that's set. It's fluid. I mean, yeah. you can, you can, uh, I've had periods where, you know, every flower that I walked by, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? You just, yeah. it's not, a, it's not a particular, and it's not set to anything. One, uh, one possibility that I find to be particularly relevant for our current time period in collective is the, the devotion to the the feminine as expressed as woman from the male yeah uh, and then of course that is also you know reflected back and and potentially reciprocated in a very authentic and integrous way yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of residue you know around uh, the male female uh, seeming division and uh, the the illusion of separation and all of the limitation that has uh, 
seemed to have taken place in that context. And through our, uh, through the, the grace of divinity expressing itself as the, the recognition of our reality, as this silent, vibrant field all around, and the resolution of the material that has been coloring our perception and uh, clouding the cognition of what is timelessly here, then a deep level of healing can begin to take place you know, within the flow of human life between the male and the female and between the male and the male and our ability to love each other without feeling like that's weird or <laughs> something strange. Yeah. Yeah. But no. This is devotional relationship. And I feel like for uh, humanity, this is something that is in the cards, you know, if uh, things continue to unfold in a certain way. Yes. And it's a very sweet and pu pure possibility. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. Yes, me too. <laughs> well, already having the privilege of <laughs> tasting it, so it's very nice. Yes, yeah. yes, I've had tastes and such, but, but uh, yeah, sustained relationships. It's still it's still challenging to stay fully open and and uh, yeah, you know, especially when we've been in this current period with the pandemic and. And so forth. There's this. There's been these waves moving through the collective of purification, uh, issues of fear and grief and, and various yeah. things coming up in these waves and ways and days. It's processing, and sometimes it you know, you naturally uh, pull back a little bit from that, and, and uh, yeah. you want to break. <laughs> yes. But but then you know then step back and and because you can help when when the heart is open to some value, then you're able to contribute. Uh, to that healing. Yeah. Yes. And and that's what is reflecting as the, the flow of devotional relationship. It's it's not an either or situation. It's not that there isn't surfacing taking place uh, or there isn't purification. It's that while there is surfacing, while there's purification, the the devotion becomes dominant, the heart becomes dominant. And so it's in the context of that. Yes, there's that's what we want. We want unresolved material to be reflected up to the surface. I mean, we may not <laughs> feel like we do. <laughs> Something doesn't want it, but you know, I mean, the heart does want that because it knows that it's through that coming up, being seen, being held, being allowed, being opened into repetitiously that the authenticity of what we're talking about here today really comes online. Yeah, that's a good point. The mind not might might not want it, but the that's heart. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially when we have spiritual concepts about like what you know the realized state should look like, and you know yeah. we should be enjoying our. <laughs> yeah, what <laughs> emotions are good or yeah. bad or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Oh yeah, no, I had a lot of I had a lot of concepts about anger early on. Yeah. There, I remember it's it's like oh no no, and this is you know, back in my meditation days, you know. When I, um, sure before I woke up and it's like, oh no, no, somebody saying, there's a book, uh, I guess about the eighties or something like that called the angry book. And basically, you know, looking at, at the way we're repressing anger and that, and uh, a friend of mine suggested it. And I was like, oh no, no, no I'm, I'm beyond that. 
<laughs> but then I looked at the book, I realized, yeah, well, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a, that's a great gift is to just to realize that the, everything that we've been, that we sort of innocently and unconsciously had condemned as being unspiritual isn't going to just disappear because we, you know, say, oh, that's not spiritual. <laughs> oh, that's, as a matter of fact, it actually keeps it here. That's one of the interesting things is that it's actually through consciously allowing those, those things which we had deemed to be so, you know, no, that couldn't have anything, you know, that's, it's not a matter of it being spiritual or unspiritual. It's a matter of recognizing that there's nothing but spirit and that whatever arises within the field of spiritual reality, which is our conscious awareness, yeah, takes on a certain energetic validity. And that validity, in order for it to be resolved, has to be attentively allowed without the resistance to it and without the rejection of it. Yes. Yeah. And that's why safety features and attempts to modify things on the surface and to be a certain way or to be better, to be more whatever actually end up backfiring, you know, like, uh, rather than serving innocently, it's our, of our nature to try to find solutions to what we deem to be problems, you know, but we oftentimes don't even look at what the root of the problem is. Right. And, and it's I, the mind trying to find the solution and fix it. the problem to make it go away where, that's where that's a non-acceptance. <laughs> and it's actually yeah. a problem in a lot of relationships that, that, yes. uh, the mind is in there trying to fix something in the relationship and yeah. it's not actually present to the relationship itself and, yeah. to, and to the feelings, you know? So how can you share, you know, feelings easily if the yeah. person you're sharing them with is trying to yeah. fix you yeah. uh, but in response to your sharing? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And that's like, you know, the mind could take the concept of devotional relationship and then say, oh, that's wonderful. I'll, now we'll have a devotional relationship. But see, the devotional relationship is automatic and spontaneous just through the resolution of that which is obscuring its natural flow yes. you don't do it you don't have to bring it into being and that's the thing with terms like compassion and love they, they get brought into the spiritual marketplace and and the mind the limited identification takes them on as things that we're going to do you know we're going to be more like this and be more like that but it doesn't address what's actually obscuring the compassion that's already here. We can't do yeah. compassion. We can't do love. They do us. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's a learning, apparent learning process, right? We're, we're always learning. And that's just, that's another, you know, gift of devotion is the teachability you know the willingness to constantly just receive yeah. that yeah and, and it's a beautiful shift from from that place where we're in the mind and trying to maintain our our self-concepts and and so on like that into this place where we're just allowing and whatever's arising and you know life to be as it is yes and uh, it's such a difference it is. So, and, and devotion is a beautiful way to, to, to shift that process from the head to the heart, you know, however you want to want to describe that. <clears throat> yeah. Wonderful. 
All right, we're going to have to stop talking about devotion. (laughs) 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 All right. So we uh, always give all glory to pure divinity. All glory.